Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned what are some of the top five mistakes to avoid when investing in commercial real estate. And in this episode and the next episode, We are interviewing Jason Ricks. We are breaking down this interview into two because there is a ton of valuable information. Jason is a professional real estate investor focusing on acquisitions, leasing, construction, and development. He has a background in retail leasing and asset management, working on premier properties worth hundreds of millions across the country. He also oversaw a 2.2 million square foot value add retail portfolio throughout Texas and Oklahoma. And most recently, he was featured in the number one Amazon best-selling book, Desire, Discipline, and Determination. Today, we are covering what is the difference between cash on cash and IRR, And also, what are REITs, real estate investment trusts, and what are the pros and cons from an investor's perspective? Here we go. Jason, it is so exciting to have you here on the podcast. I was really, really looking forward to having you. You have a ton to share and to offer. Why don't you start by giving us a brief background and we'll jump into the questions. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Big fan of your podcast and enjoy getting to meet you and talking about various different markets and shopping centers. And I know you're looking there on the West Coast to do some really fun things. So excited about potentially partnering in the future, but a little bit about me. I grew up in Austin and I got into the business at, let's say, the perfect time. So 2008, right? Fantastic. Everyone's hiring. People are doing deals. No, it was a real challenge. And um, I ended up interviewing with just about every commercial real estate firm under the sun in Austin. A lot of people throwing me offers of minimum wage and, hey, kids, see if you can come in here, cold call and get a deal done. Ended up partnering with a, with a company called Tarantino Properties. And we were a boutique firm. We had exposure in Austin, San Antonio, and Houston. And I really specialize as a, as a broker in, in uh, shopping centers, specifically like Class C and Class B shopping centers. Did that for four years, learned a ton about how to get a lease done, um, mm-hmm. listings, did some brokerage, did some tenant rep. So kind of really got acclimated in the business. And what was great is they threw me to the deep end right away. Here's a desk, here's a phone, go after it. It was a lot of fun, but I, I really wanted to, as I got older, kind of pivot my career and go into the asset management realm. And I ended up having an opportunity to work for a private investor portfolio size that's pretty substantial. And he had about $3 million of NOI in a portfolio in Texas and Oklahoma. And so he was looking for some young guy that he could whip to death 
and and work to death <laughs> and uh, to add value. And it was a lot of fun. So we ended up doing some really unique things. We would buy like really difficult uh, shopping centers like um, a former Walmart that was vacated. So imagine 400 thousand square feet of vacant retail space. Mm -hmm. We would chop it up and subdivide it, make the outside exterior look really pretty, work on lighting, parking lot repairs, exterior facade improvements. And we would end up leasing to a whole bunch of junior anchor and anchor tenants. And then potentially we would look at building what we call a build a suit on an out parcel, right? That's closer to the road. We would do freestanding fast food, drive through restaurants. We would do you know 9,000 square foot buildings. And then once we kind of maximized the value, we would end up um, trading that asset and, and disposing of it. Did that for a while. And like any good asset manager, when you enhance the value, your owner's going to liquidate the portfolio. And um, I think at the time I was ready to kind of make a move and I really wanted to go towards something more institutional based. And one of my mentors got me connected with Amway Residential. And Amway Residential is a multifamily developer that specializes in mixed use, ground floor retail apartments on the top. We were in nine major metros. It's a private REIT and it feeds into the Morgan Stanley Prime Fund, which is a very large institutional fund of around 24 billion in size. Got me a lot of exposure to the REIT world, all the fun reporting that you have to do and, and keeping everyone happy, but it was a tremendous opportunity because they hadn't really had anyone with retail experience to come in and really kind of steer the ship and get familiar with different types of developments, construction, working with different cities and making sure that we can get the management and leasing just right for Morgan Stanley. And that's been really enjoyable ride, a great company, learned a tremendous amount. But ultimately where I'm going in my career now is, is more towards the general partner side or the GP sponsor side and um, had a chance to interact with Michael Flight. And we recently decided to uh, partner together. Could not ask for a better partner. I think you know Michael well. Yes. Um, this guy, someone you could really look up to and, and he's got a wealth of knowledge. He's been doing this for 30 years and couldn't be happier with that partnership and, and where we're taking it. And really back to my roots of, of value at shopping center investing. And so we're looking at um, kind of secondary and tertiary markets that have a good growth story and uh, provide lucrative returns for LP investors. Such a diverse background in just 10, 11 years. Very impressive. One thing that caught my attention was when you guys were buying tenants that went dark, the, the big tenants. So what did you do with those big buildings? Were you subdividing them into smaller units? We ended up buying, at the time, it makes sense on a per pound basis or a per square foot basis to go in with a group and buy nine of their former regional super centers at mm -hmm. one time scattered the United States. And we would look at that. There's a whole bunch of CCNR issues when you have these, these giant Walmart centers. And so a lot of people try to stay away from them. And then the other issue is how do you get debt on, yeah. a, on a vacant building, right? You have to find the right operator with the right level of background. And we had strategic relationships. I'll talk about a, specifically a shopping center in Waco. We ended up carving up the space four different ways. So I ended up leasing a large chunk of space to uh, Tractor Supply, Planet Fitness, and then a concept that's in the Southwest. It's called uh, Dirt Cheap, which is just a discount retailer. We also leased the back end of the shopping center to a group called CSL Plasma. So that occupied the 300,000 square feet. And on top of that, we also were successful in working with the city and developing a 9,000 square foot pad where we were able to put firehouse subs, Brighton Dental, and um, a nutrition store. Truly courageous. 
If you can yeah, get that done, you can get anything done. I'll tell you, we, Stefan, we had so many awkward, you know, unique situations. We had a, I had a shopping center that was built in the 50s. And it was in Dell City, Oklahoma, which was a tough market. And the ceiling heights back then, the construction, you know, the, the, the height of the ceilings are like over like 11 feet, 10 feet. Well, that's not big enough for a grocery store to come in there and do stacking, right? So what am I going to do with this thing? And my owner's like, get at least, Jason. And so I'm like, okay, well, they need the ceiling height to be 16 feet. And he's like, well, figure out how to increase the ceiling height. So I worked with a structural engineer way over my skis. I look at the numbers that it would take and my eyes glaze over. It's like, oh my God, how are we going to get this one? And so I ended up, I knocked on the city's door, hat in hand, like help me out. And, and we ended up, it was, it was a great experience. We ended up negotiating a TIF agreement, which is just a fancy way of saying a tax abatement program over a period of 10 years us reinvest into the shopping center and let the mayhem you know ensue on trying to literally raise the roof on a 50s building with all kinds of hazmat issues it was a joy i would like to talk a little bit about some of the financial side of the house and a little bit about reits just so our audience can understand what these these terminologies are and then we'll jump into the retail side which will I would love to hear more so why don't we start with what is the difference between cash on cash and IRR both really common metrics that a lot of investors use when evaluating real estate one of the beauties of commercial real estate or income producing real estate is the cash flow cash on cash is is it's really ultimately a snapshot of the percentage return of your cash invested imagine Stephanie you invested a hundred thousand dollars into a shopping center in year one you got a cash flow check of ten thousand so what type of return is that on your investment? That's going to be a 10% cash on cash return. And this is usually quoted on a before tax basis. And what that does is that gives you a nice little snapshot of the initial return that you're going to get on your investment, which a lot of investors are curious about, especially when you evaluate this against, let's say, for example, a stock dividend or a coupon. And so that's one of the exciting things about commercial real estate is that that cash on cash income producing. Now, where cash on cash gives you a nice snapshot, IRR, internal rate of return, gives you the full picture, the comprehensive picture. And in the way that's done is if you own, let's say, a shopping center over a period of five years, you're going to have very different cash flows. And whenever you decide to sell the building, you're going to have a big chunk of sales proceeds. Well, how do you evaluate a return on your investment over a five-year period, taking into account the time value of money. And that's what the IRR does. It gives you a nice picture of your yield. And a lot of times, investors will look at IRR, and it's primarily, if you're looking like at an investment summary, it will be a pro forma, right? So it will say, here's my crystal ball, and here's where I think cash flows are going to be, and here's where I think we're gonna end up going on an exit cap, and this is gonna be the sales proceeds. And what's beautiful about it is it gives you an opportunity to evaluate it against other investment vehicles. And obviously, IRR could be before getting the property, when you're fundraising, getting the funds to purchase the property. That will be, as you mentioned, pro forma, meaning this is what we think your return will be over five years. And also, you can use IRR to show them your past experience and the returns that you have given your previous investors, correct? And those are those are real numbers. 
Yeah, those are real numbers. You hit the nail on the head right there. So a lot of times, and you know, in the investment world, we, we kind of look at these uh, IRRs on these performers and think, oh, that's what I'm going to get. Not always the case in private equity, but you're absolutely right. What you really want to look at from an IRR standpoint is the track record. And that's the beauty because you never really know what it's going to be until you actually sell it. And that's the real number. Let's move on into what are REITs and what are the pros and cons of investing in a REIT from an investor's perspective? REITs actually came about in the 60s. At that point, only accredited investors were really engaged in commercial real estate. And so REITs actually allowed non-accredited investors to invest in commercial real estate. And this can be done in either debt or equity REITs. And these can either be private or public. And to qualify for a REIT, there are a lot of requirements, a ton of reporting. And I'll, I won't bore you with all the, uh, the the gory details, but I'll give you some of the highlights. So like 90% of its taxable income has to be in the form of shareholder dividends. And you have to invest 75% of your assets in real estate, cash, or U.S. treasuries. And those are just a few. As an individual investor that's unaccredited, what's fantastic about REITs is it gives you broad-based diversification and exposure to commercial real estate. Plus, just like any other publicly traded stock, it's liquid, meaning that you can get in and get out very quickly. For any of your listeners that own a home, they know it's really challenging. Real estate is not a liquid asset. There's a lot that goes into selling it. And so there's a lot of advantages to having a liquid form of uh, investing in the commercial real estate. Plus, you get exposure to investment grade assets with stable cash flow. And that, that's one of the beauties. Some of the cons that I talk about a lot with investors is, unfortunately, REITs don't offer much in the form of capital appreciation. So they're very, very dividend heavy focused. And those dividend checks that you do get from REITs are going to be taxed at regular income. So it makes a lot of sense to keep these in tax deferred accounts, like a retirement account, for example. And the reporting you have to do, right? You have to have a big back of house shop well, those are all big high management fees, right? And they're traded like a stock. So a lot of times it's a lot of emotion that goes into investing in liquid assets. And so they're, a lot of times they're traded in the short term. The last thing that, that always made it difficult for me is if you're investing in a REIT, let's say they have 100 properties across the US. I'm not going to be able to look at each underlying property and nor are they going to show me that on their prospectus. So there's a little bit of lack of transparency and you really have to to make sound decisions based on where you feel like a good management team is, kind of what their philosophy is, and where you see dividends growing in that particular sector. You mentioned that with REITs, we as investors, we don't get the appreciation on the building. Who gets that? When, when REITs will acquire properties, because so much of the way their stock is traded is based on potential forward earnings on dividends, you're, you're not going to get any of the upside like you would in a traditional private equity transaction that gets filtered back to the REIT. So they're only required to deliver those cash flow dividends and you really don't get the appreciation upside like you would if you were to invest in a um, private equity transaction. And one thing I wanted to also briefly discuss around REITs is when something does happen to the economy and investors want to immediately cash out, the REITs have to sell these properties in order to give the cash <laughs> to their investors. And therefore, it's another wonderful thing for 
us as investors to purchase property when there is a downturn, because that's another thing that is happening simultaneously <laughs> besides the economy getting a little bit messy. The REITs have to sell pretty fast, correct? Absolutely. Just like any other public traded company, they're at the mercy of their shareholders and investor sentiment. And so if things do dip, and this goes back to that concept of it's it's traded a lot on human emotion, like most stocks, so it's extremely volatile, they will have to accelerate some things off of their balance sheet in order to keep their investor base happy, which from my standpoint, we're licking our chops at that at that point to, uh, to come in and acquire these assets and um, really add some some value and enhance uh, the performance for LPs. And within how long do they have to give the money back? Is it really fast? Is it within a day or a week? I, I don't know the specifics of how quickly it needs to turn. Most of these dividend checks are on a quarterly basis. Reporting is very strict and it, traditionally it's done on a quarterly. Okay. We'll continue this interview in the next episode. Make sure to subscribe to our channel if you are finding this useful. And if you know anyone who would be interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing, make sure to share this podcast with them and I will see you next time.